Welcome to yet another episode of Building Public Show, and I am your host, KP. Today, I am super thrilled to have two amazing entrepreneurs, Luis and Bruno. Hi, KP. Hi, KP. Thank Thanks for having us. Of course, the pleasure is mine. So Luis and Bruno are both the co-founders of a startup I personally invested in, so I'm very excited about what they're working on. I've been um, connected to them for maybe six, seven months now. Their startup is Hera, H-E-R-A dot S-O, that's the domain, but I'll let them give a quick 30-second intro about themselves, and then we'll talk about Hera. So, Luis, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm Louise. I have myself a business background. Out of school, I studied in finance and then I joined a healthcare startup in Paris called Inato as a customer success manager. And there I had the chance to broaden and broaden my scope little by little, which I think is what got me interested in entrepreneurship. So finally, I decided to do it two years after working in that startup. And so here I am one year after building Hera. Awesome. And what do you do at Hera? At Hera, I'm mostly responsible for the community, I would say. So growing and nurturing the community of users and like, yeah, acquiring new users, make them make sure that they use the product and love the product as much as we do. Awesome. Bruno, what about you? Yeah. So I have an engineering background on my side, mostly in machine learning and, and computer science. And I basically, after a few years as a data scientist, I joined the same startup basically two weeks before Louise, first as an engineer, and then I became like product manager there. And I think like personally, it's the best way to become obsessed with starting a company. Like a product manager was really eye-opening for me as a job panning across so many different facets of the company, I must say, but uh, mostly responsible for the product and like executing the vision we have for the company and trying to make that concrete in the product while taking into account all the feedback we are fortunate to get from the community Luis was mentioning. Awesome. So we've kind of touched on a few parts about Hera, but Luis, would you want to give us a formal introduction to what Hera does and who is it for? Yeah, sure. So what we want to do with Hera is basically replacing Google Calendar. We want to build the calendar of next generation, which is made for distributed teams across time zones, potentially working remotely and doing virtual meetings. And we want to make these teams success. So it's mostly towards today. Our community is mostly made of co-founders and like top managers, let's say. And the goal is for us to start with these people, this persona, and then grow within teams and really support the distributed teams to work well together and embrace, I would say, this new flexibility, like making sure people can work on what they want to work on and make sure that they hit their priorities in the week through their calendar, basically. Awesome. I mean, one of my favorite parts about Hera when I first came across what you were doing was the fact that it was a such a horizontal play, which yeah. means it kind of can span across all departments mm. and divisions within businesses. So like the TAM is as big as you can imagine, right? Kind of like yeah. the same well, the same way you think about email, same way you think about yeah. Google Calendar, of course. But what I loved, you know, from a focus perspective was that although the TAM is, you know, hypothetically as big as you can imagine, you had a very clear focus and wedge to go to market 
you know, with. And so that was uh, something that I thought was quite impressive. And maybe there's a lesson there for founders, you know, who are thinking about, okay, I want to build a product that may apply to a lot of departments or a lot of divisions, a lot yeah. of personas, but we're going to start with one core niche persona. So tell me, mm. walk us through, you know, if you can recall, you know, the early discussions around how you arrived at choosing one persona over everything. Both of you, either of you can take back on what you do. I can take that. But I just want to go back on what you just said. I think it's super important. Having a narrow focus does not mean you're sure of this focus. Like, it doesn't mean that you have de-risk everything about this initial project, uh, like direction you want to, to put in your company. But we found with Louise that it's vastly more efficient for us to have like a very strong direction that we want to de-risk as quickly as possible versus trying to be everything for everyone. And like it takes five years to realize that you're nothing to most of most of them. And, and so very beginning of, of the company, we wanted to be very focused on, on one core value proposition try to push it as far, as far as possible and, and then see where we are. And so initially, actually, we had a very strong focus on not taking, mainly because we were coming out of quarantine. We spend our days in, in Zoom meetings and we wanted to reduce the frictions for people that spending their days in, in virtual meetings and taking notes in meetings is one of these uh, recurring pains. So we had a very strong focus on not taking. We pushed that for three months, basically, from February to May. We were fortunate to join Y Combinator at that time. And during YC, we realized our positioning was a bit off, mainly because we were not replacing a given tool. So people were still using Google Calendar and still using Notion. And so we were kind of like adding another tool to the endless list of of tools you're using. And that's why we pivoted at the end of the summer towards building a fully-fledged calendar built for distributed teams, as, as we mentioned. And now our, our strong focus at the moment is how can we make sharing your availabilities and like sharing a windows on your time as efficient and as playful as possible. It's remarkable how you've been able to observe, distill, and react quickly to customer feedback. You this know? is the power um, of community. And it's, <laughs> right. I think. And I think, you know, it's, it's as, I mean, as someone who, you know, who's sort of back to you and I think, you know, my, my, what I'm bullish about is both of you. I don't care what you end up creating. You know what? I don't care what Hera ends up becoming because I think you're smart enough to figure out what is right for the core niche of you know audience you want to serve. But it's been so awesome watching from the outside in the transformation and the you know and the adjustments the positioning has taken. Right. Yeah. So to, if you want to share one or two reflections on how did you do the customer discovery, Lewis? I know you're very close with the community. Yeah. You know you're always conversing with them, talking with them. You know what do you think that you have done differently? that has led you to a smarter, a more informed position of where you are today? Yeah, well, I think if we go back to February, so we first line of code was written 1st of February, probably like the really the beginning of the month. Three months after, we were opening a private beta. Yeah, we were onboarding users. And from the get-go, we created this Slack workspace. With like, And it was funny because when I, I was writing an article the other day and I was finding back those screenshots from the first users onboarded and welcomed on the on the Slack community. So it was like 10 users probably in February and March, like really a small set of users um, with whom we've, we've interact we had interacted before during interviews that we had done a few months before. And so directly we decided to put the product in the hands of the users. So it was very 
shaky product, like three mm -hmm. weeks of code. So Bruno is super strong at coding, but still he was, he was very, very early. <laughs> and I think this is the secret sauce, let's say, like having people testing your product from the get-go, from the beginning and feeling, you know, like working with us. Like we were doing right. at the beginning, we were really doing product workshop with these 10 users. Like we talk to them every day on Slack, but we would also do kind of product workshop with them from time to time for like 30 minutes where we would show them the spec and discuss with them. And we're very lucky because the first users of Hera were, a lot of them were product managers. So it was great to have them mm -hmm. <laughs> discuss uh, this with us. The secret yeah. at the beginning, like making, yeah, making sure we like have the product tested by users. And then we continue doing that. So we still have this Slack community. I'm talking to users every day. Basically, I think it's like 90% of my time, probably talking to users on the Slack, calling them like mm. 10 minutes call to get feedback on a specific thing. And so I, I think people really feel engaged on Hera because their feedback are heard and we're really co-building the product with them. And I think this is the goal mm. for us, really not building a product on our end and then giving it to users. It's really co-building a product. They are feeling heard and like, yeah, listened uh, to. And so, yeah, I think that's the secret sauce. Wall of separation between you and the community has broken down. Yeah. Right? Totally. And there's this phrase that I've been using a lot called co-creating with your audience. Yeah. In your case, you're co-building mm. with your yeah. target customers, right? Exactly. Which is fantastic. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of uh, another YC company. You know, it's kind of now a folklore, you know, celebrated like it's some mythology where early days of Stripe, if you guys remember, or if you read about this, yeah. both the Collision brothers used to physically carry their MacBook to mm. their customers and install Stripe code, three lines or four lines of JavaScript on their customers' machines by themselves, yeah. manually, like, right, going to the customer, talking to them right next to them and watching them work, watching exactly. them do their workflow. It's actually pretty close to what we try to do right now. Like, Louise is onboarding every single user with a 20-minute call. And the first thing we do is have them close the Google Calendar tab. Like, we try to reset uh, their habits and, like, walk them through the new products. And it's a, it's a fantastic way to close the feedback loop and get very raw insights right. on all users understand your product. There's this concept that I share in some of my coaching and advising sessions called the empathy gap. And oftentimes, founders who are building for for personas that they have no empathy in fail. That's because they just don't have the instincts that the target persona, you know, has. For example, yeah. that's why there's this concept of founder market fit, right? It's so important to have someone, especially if I see two startups and the one founding team is trying to build for somebody that's far of a reach compared to another founding team that is solving almost their own problem. Nine out of 10 times, the second team will win yeah. because they have these thousands of micro decisions and this intuition that is so hard to collect on a type form survey, right? Yeah. You just have to really watch them or be with them or be them. Yeah. You know? So the closer you are to the, the customer, the better always. Now, first founding story, you touched on your both professional backgrounds, but a lot of founders that I know are who are listening to this or who follow me on Twitter or on the fence and they are, they probably have an idea or two. They are currently working at another startup maybe, but they are, they're afraid to take the leap. What made you both to take the leap to be founders? I think the co-founding team is like the first starting point, at least, at least for us. Like we got lucky to work together for two years prior to ERA. And so we, we kind of knew at the very basis level that we enjoyed working together and that we had complementary skill set. So uh, the question was more, what, what is the best idea to use our skills? But we knew we wanted to build something together at the end of 
of our journey in the career startup. So I think we, we definitely started with the team. And then the timing was very special in our case because we were coming out of quarantine. And so we were mm-hmm. kind of overwhelmed by the experience of being quarantined, spending days in Zoom. And so we were kind of like early believers of remote work, right? But we, we had horrible, like awful months of quarantine. So we were like, mm-hmm. is this really what remote work is going to be for the next five years? And so like we knew something was off in the way remote work had been forcefully implemented during uh, the pandemic. And so we started uh, looking at this and it's kind of a rabbit hole. Like the, the more you look at the way people work remotely, the more you see what is off in the way people work in the office and, and you immediately stumble across meetings. And, and then we started talking to users. And then like, I think we were hooked to the idea of being able to change their daily routine. I think it's core to to what we do. You need to have this desire to change uh, for the better, like the daily routine or daily workflows of of people, at least in the productivity space. And so I think we we got, tell me if if you don't agree, uh, Louise, but we we got kind of hooked when we saw the first impact of our prototype, like only crappy code and people saying, oh, it saves me time every day. It's pretty addictive, Mm -hmm. I must say. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you, Bruno. And I think also personally, because it's, it's always a bit scary, right, to quit your full-time job. Right. You're, you're secured into a full-time job. It's, it's like reassuring. What I did, and I remember doing that, like I started to write on a paper, what were the risks to build a company? Like what right. can happen? What can turn wrong? Like what's, what's the risk? Hmm. And it actually stayed belong because there is... There is no real risk. I mean, we're, you're going to learn so much stuff in such a short time frame. Like you're going to be have super high, super big lows as well. Like it's uh, it's mind blowing, let's say, but there is no risk. There is no big risk. You shouldn't be afraid of failure because like you will always learn so much more, I believe, than a full time job. Like and if it turns to be like a failure, it wouldn't be a failure. But if it turns to, if you don't succeed as much as you would like to, I mean, it's it's not it's not a problem. You will have learned so many things. So I think people who are hesitating to like take the plunge to build a startup, I don't know. There's there's no big risk. You're gonna meet with amazing people, mm. learn so many different jobs, and this is what actually took me like. Uh, got me interested in entrepreneurship as well. Like you have a big mountain in front of you. You don't know from where to start, but you just start by like, Mm. you start doing it and little by little you learn and you learn from other people. And today, especially with the building public, it's great because you can have, you can learn about so many experience from different people. So you're not alone. You shouldn't be afraid of being alone as well. There is a huge community of like entrepreneurs and we can talk about YC, of course, as well. But like, you're not alone. You're learning so much stuff. So no big risk. And I think you have to be rational and say like, okay, it's fine. It's going to be, it's going to be okay. (laughs) Right. I love that you actually took the time to write it. Yeah. With the... Yeah, go on. What is it? <laughs> no, no, I don't know. No. I, I agree with what we just said, Louise, but, but I think I would not sugarcoat the, the loneliness of the job. It's definitely, you're not alone, but it's definitely mm. more like lonelier than a full-time job, mainly because you have mm. hundreds that's of a, problems. That's a tweet that right there. Specific. You're not alone, but you're lonelier than a full-time job. (laughs) One other thing I want to ask, which is something that comes up in in, in my conversations with people who are considering to start, is the financial insecurity. You know, the fear about, okay, I used to make 
whatever 100k yeah. or 150k you know stable job now for at least the first three months or six months you know what is my situation like what how did you both mm. address that or what is your advice you know even if it's not something that you addressed yeah. but how uh, should people prepare themselves for that well i think first we were super lucky to be in france and so so in france you have very great like great incentives to start a company like uh, you can have an employment for quite a, a long period of time so like the Financial risk on the short term, let's say on the first 12 months, are very low in France, at least. And then I, I would say you can rezone with acceptable losses. You can say, okay, I'm ready to dedicate the next 18 months to my company. And I want to be profitable or I want to have raised 1 million, whatever your trajectory is in the next 18 months. And I, I think actually it's a great constraint. We, we've seen over and over mm -hmm. companies raising a lot of funds and ending up losing momentum because they have just too much money. I'm not saying you, st you, should, you should stay like without any, any money, but like it's, it's a good constraint to force you to validate your ideas quickly. Like if you have 12 months of runway, you have 12 months to uh, validate your idea basically. Right. So let's go to the next chapter. So I think between this moment when you started Hera and YC happened, there was an inflection point or at least one memorable moment, according to me, which is you guys came into my orbit. I don't know how, but Louis like somehow DM me from out of the blues on Twitter. And she said, KP, you know, and I, and you guys, I don't know if like, you know, you, you were not on the founder circuit that I typically am part of or not part of on deck. And Louis had like 40 followers or something on Twitter. I'm like, yeah. who is this Louis DMing? me and she said talk, she started asking advice about building in public and there's a lot of appetite around community and building in public in growth that I saw in, in Louis in you so let's talk about that episode yeah I think Bruno and I are obsessed with talking to users but I think it's something we really love to do like we we love talking to people so I think I wanted to I wanted us to be coached by someone who is better than us. Like, it, I think it was the starting point. Bruno and I, on each topic that we're working on, want to be coached by someone like 10x, 20x, 100x better than us. And so we started with this Slack workspace and building this community. And then we got us, we got interested in that and like searching on the internet, what are the the trends in the building public space and stuff. And mm. we found KP and we were like, okay, let's try it. Let's try to be coached by this guy. And so I just wrote a cold message, but it was I, probably my first DM on Twitter. <laughs> you don't really know how it works either. And so I, I reached out to you and then we had this this uh, training session with you, which was great. And I think you we can talk about that later, but you, you go, gave us like so great advice for the building public. And I think it was something that we had inside mm. us pretty mm. naturally and we needed someone to make it out there like to express right. it <laughs> and, and so, actually um, it's really we the, were on the face yep. You yeah. were saying a bit before, uh, KP, that people talk to you because they are on the fence of starting a startup. We were on the fence on building right. public. Like we, we, we knew we wanted to do that, but we we, had, we, we didn't have the confidence. And you, you just gave us this right. nudge to, hey, just, just do it for 30 days and you will see it was yeah. the right advice for us. Right. And just like with anything, that training session, you know, I walked away feeling like, I walked away feeling like, I don't know if I did enough justice. I shared all my story. I shared all the tips that I know. But so much about building in public is putting in the reps and sets. Like you just really have to do, it's like diet, yeah. right? You have to do it. So I walked away like, okay, you know, I gave my best. 
We'll see what happens, you know. And I remember the next interaction we had was, again, Louis sliding into my DMs maybe like a month after and saying, KP, what do I see? I was like, what? That's so cool. And I was so happy for both of you. And But to close the loop for the audience, ever since what I've seen both, you know, Louise and Bruno, more so Louis, is she's phenomenal at being consistent on Twitter, on Medium. <laughs> on whatever in building in public. And I think, I, uh, Lewis, you should know, I use you as my case study for my other founders <laughs> oh, really? and other, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's within on deck and generally on Twitter. as like, here's someone who started, who was on the fence or it was early. And because you really had like 45 followers. So many people assume that you need to have 10K, 20K, 30K followers to start building in public. I disagree. You should, of course, start some. Everybody starts with zero. I started with zero. Everybody starts with zero followers. But the it's the practice of doing it. And your early experiments, I remember you were doing, you did some threads yeah. that didn't blow up. Yeah. You did some interviews and some case study, I think Medium articles, again, didn't yeah. blow up. You tried LinkedIn. And my favorite part is that you just won't quit trying. Yeah. That's exactly the mantra. It's just don't quit trying. Keep going, keep going. And one of these recent days I noticed, I think one of your Medium articles or or Somebody shared it to me saying, hey, like, look at this startup called Hera. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I know them, right? So there's a funny way of how things can come around, you know, internationally, right? Like you're in France, I'm in the US, but there's a funny way of things can come around if you just know the right tactics and you just yeah. execute them, you know, over and over again. So, I mean, so it's been a fantastic experience watching from outside in, and I'm so proud of both of you. So going to YC, the whole journey your reflections, what was it like? What do you remember about YC now that you're out of it? I can start with yeah. the, one of the biggest things I remember is how we got into YC. I don't know if you <laughs> heard about that story, but it, it's quite funny, I would say. So we, It's about persistence. Uh, yes, it's again, like it's about persistence, like don't be afraid to fail and like persist. So we, we did the uh, early applications. We did the first interview right. in January. We didn't have the, the product yet. We have like, we had specs and stuff. So we did this interview, 10 minutes interview. And then the partners wanted to test the product, but we didn't have any product. So for one week, Bruno Cody like crazy to have something for them to download and to try out. And so we sent them the link to the download. And then we didn't have, we didn't hear back from them for months because we really, wow. we knew afterwards that the partner who tried to download the product got a bug because of Hera and like we it crashed his Google Calendar, like it crashed his computer. <laughs> so right. he, he did try to, to download Hera, but couldn't do it. And so every week, Bruno would send emails to them with an update on Hera. Hey, this month, this week we shipped this feature. Here is what it looks like mm. now. And we showed them our progress over like three months. Until Gustav reached out to us and said, okay, let's have a call. And we did that call. Gustav still had this bug on his computer. Bruno took <laughs> control of the computer. He did that. Still waking Gustav up to this night. Live. Like he took control of Gustav's computer, debugged the stuff. And like at the end, we did like a demo then of Hera. And at the end of the call, Gustav said, okay, you're in. And it was starting right. two weeks after. So I think. It, this was memorable, like wasted experience, of course, as well. But like until we got into WAC, was memorable as well. But that's an that's an incredible yeah. experience and a memory too, right? I mean, yeah. also the fact that despite not hearing any response from them, yeah, the fact that both of you started kept going and kept emailing, kept sharing updates. Oh my yeah. god, it's it's so underrated. Yeah. Exactly. And, Bruno, you get, you and, and we tried to, we tried to drive, 
Yeah, sure, sure. So, so we had a special YC experience because everything was, was full remote, right? So I think right. on, on this aspect, we got some, like this, this experience is definitely different from the physical one. What I what we really liked about YC is that first they set the right level of, of ambition for a startup. And it's something mm. maybe more natural for American entrepreneurs. But I feel like in France, we are not always educated, let's say, to have this massive level of ambition of we can change the, the, the daily lives of, of millions of people. And so the first thing is that right. they kind of reset what you think you can achieve in a year. So I really like that. And by the way, so they kind of force you to have this very aggressive objective for your startup. And, and having these crazy objectives forces you to be laser focused and only think about what makes my company move in the right direction. So definitely super helpful. And also what is funny is that I think YC is the first community incubator, uh, like community-driven incubator, because their only motto is make something people want. And so they want. spend their days teaching you about talking to users and like getting actionable feedback. And so actually it was a great way for us to double down on this community we were building at the time. And, and it's it's a great way to remind entrepreneurs that it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to go fast, but it's useless if you don't have a tight feedback loop, feedback loop to, to kind of adjust your, mm. your positioning or product, whatever. So yeah, that was fantastic for us. And it was also amazing because they gave us access to the US network, both from a user's perspective, investor's perspective, like advisor. It's, it's a big family and people are very helpful in this community. Right. I'm also curious how you felt about the YC culture of just, you know, paying it forward, just helping, you know, with no expectations, just, you know, always willing to. I mean, that's something that I noticed when I came from, you know, I was in Atlanta, mostly used to Atlanta ecosystem and, you know, not, not, I mean, South the south of the U.S., it's not a big tech hub compared to the California, you know, New York, for example. So I was a little taken aback when I would interact with someone from YC. Or now, of course, when I joined on deck, I was shocked at the California, you know, ethos they have. It's not California. I think it's not a region thing, but it's more of a cultural thing. It's more of an ethos, a personal belief. Mm. The spirit of service and just helping with no expectations, I think, was mind-blowing to me, you know, when I found out. Did you have, you know, bits of that through your experience too? Yeah, Totally. Especially every week we had this because now the like the YC promos are very big. Like we were probably 350 companies, something like this. So it's harder and harder to have everyone at the same like in the same space. So we had subsections and every week we would regroup with like 15 other founders or something like this. And we would go through a bunch of questions that the partner would uh, ask and everyone should like tell about his objectives, what's, what is he struggling with, like for if he needs help with something. And one by one, everyone would like tell this during a few minutes and then other people would help give advice and stuff. And it's crazy, like the, the power of this, because every week you know that you're going to have support from the other founders mm. in a dedicated session and you're going to be able to help as well. I remember, Bruno, you you made an introduction for a client for one of the YC companies. Like you, we got like introductions to users, to investors and stuff. So it's really, really, I agree with you, KP, like 
mind blowing the power of help and how people like help each other out and like right. and everything it's crazy i love that so tell me to the next chapter which is your fundraising story and i mean if you have to summarize your fundraising story in maybe three key you know steps or three <laughs> key milestones or inflection points what would those be i'm going to let bruno answer uh, okay. this, I can, I can, if i say if i can say just one thing it's again persistence right like it's never ended like it's, it's working for everything <laughs> yeah i think persistence is like the core skill underpinning the entire journey as a as an entrepreneur exactly at least our journey okay so fundraising we decided to raise a seed round of around 1.5 million at the end of yc mainly because we were like going after all this like after this this pivot and we were going to pick up uh, momentum in the, in the short term and, and I would say the key takeaways, the first one would be understand where you are as a company mm -hmm. stage. It's very easy to get advice from people as if you were raising a Series A or as if you were raising a pre-seed. And basically the, the tactics for fundraising or the way you should approach your round heavily depend on, on where you are product-wise, metric-wise. And so for us, it was a bit, uh, let's say, complex because we were going out of this vote. So we, we had this very new product with very, very new uh, use cases. So what we realized is that it was way more efficient to start with the vision and to sell them really, mm. like to explain to the investor the future we want to build. And then they risk our execution capabilities by showing them the product we built in three weeks, but instead of the other way right. around. Um, that was pretty mm. efficient. And then I would say right. our persistence is always very <laughs> useful in the sense that if you target investors you really want to have it on your cap table because they have invested in, in the same industry or they have expertise you should like we were reading every article from this investor and trying to really get a sense of what gets him or her excited to to be very relevant in the way we interact with them and it, it has been very fruitful in a sense and everybody likes mm. to get personalized like outreach or right. or interactions that helped a lot what's the third one i think you said three Okay. Is it persistence? Um, and I, I would say no. <laughs> no, the, the third one is the team, at least at least at our stage. Basically, when you're at a seed round, you, you cannot sell like we have two years of metrics to show you showing our crazy growth. Like, right. Everything is very early. So one thing right. that will stick is your team. Your problem might change. Your solution might change. Your target audience might change. But hopefully your co-founding team will stick. And so we really try to emphasize the strengths of our mm -hmm. co-founding team and like what really tie us together and why we believe we have the right team to execute on this on this mission. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. So let's do one more question and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Okay. So that was fantastic, Bruno. Thanks for the fundraising journey takeaways. So where, where's uh, Hera now? What does today look like? Do you have product announcement or do you have a latest waitlist that you want to share with the audience? Yeah, so we're still we're still on waitlist. So basically, over the past two months, we iterated with 20 users. We created a calendar committee with 20 people, and they got like the very first version of the new product. And day after day, they got the new versions, and we iterated with these people. Now we have a waitlist to which people can sign up directly uh, from the website. And I am personally onboarding every person from this waitlist one by one. If you make referrals, you will jump on the waitlist and. I will onboarding you sooner. So I'm onboarding around 30 to 40 users per week now, and we will launch publicly in February. So the goal now is really to get a bigger volume of feedback and usage before launching 
publicly. Once we have like a very good set of feature, we uh, we start to have it it now. But like we will launch publicly in February, so we'll need all your support at this at this time. But currently, people can sign up on the waitlist and make referrals to Jump, and I will onboard them with a big spine. <laughs> Awesome. So I will make sure that I include the link in the show notes. So the domain is once again, Hera, www.hera.so. But Lewis, where can the audience find you on Twitter? Bruno, where can people find you on Twitter? So people can help me grow my audience and see how persistent I am on, at Lubes. It's L-O-U-B-A-Y-S-S. And on my and side, Bruno. they can find me on, on Twitter, mostly uh, discussing products, uh, way behind Louise in terms of, of Twitter persistence, I must say. Uh, they can find me at BruVGR, B-R-U-V-G-R. I'll include both your links on the show notes again. But hey, this is great. Thanks for popping in for a quick chat and talking about your stories and your journey and, and Hera. Thanks a lot, baby. Awesome. Sounds good. 